When considering all the wonderful privileges that belong to the follower of Jesus Christ, we must be careful. Careful that the honors of grace that God has placed upon us do not become a cloak behind which we cultivate an attitude of self-validation or assertion over others. When that happens, a good thing goes bad. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We are considering Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. Here Paul is addressing the religious Jew of his day and showing them that the honors God had placed upon them had led them to attitudes and actions that actually dishonored God. It began with their name, Jew. It was a good name, indicating a promised future to rule with the Messiah. And yet the title led them to feel entitled and developed in them an attitude of condescension towards others. Listen in today as we see that such a twist of a good thing to something bad can happen to the Christian today, just as it was happening to the Jew in Paul's day. The name itself reveals the mercy of God upon us and the grace of God upon us, the mercy of God restraining his judgment upon us, the grace of God giving to us what we don't deserve. But if you find in the title a note of superiority over others, a reason to gloat in condescension over those who are now ruling the age in which you live, it can become a self-asserting thing. It can become a thing in which you begin to develop an air of condescension. You know, they say that condescension is the last bastion of losers. And the Jews had been for centuries pushed further and further to the edge of society. They'd been losing out over and over again in the political machinations of the world. They were put to the side when powers are rising up and other powers are rising up. But oh, did they have condescension in spades. You know, they held on to the sense that we're the titled people. We're the people that are going to rule one day. And they took from that position a position of condescension among those that they lived among. And the very society that had pushed them out to the extremities. And the Christian can do the exact same thing. We can look at the changes that are happening in the world and around us. We can see the space that's taking place that more and more we're becoming disenfranchised from the places of influence and power and then in order to soothe ourselves, we just claim our name as a basis on which we can feel better than everybody else and we can look upon everybody else with a sense of condescension. And when that happens, a good thing becomes a bad thing. A good thing becomes a bad thing. Here's another one. It says they rested on the law. They were called Jews and you rest on the law. God gave his law on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel. And when God gave it, the people rejoiced. It was the moral law that taught them how they were to live and conduct themselves in the worship of God, but it was more than just the moral law. The law that God gave at Mount Sinai was also the law of sacrifice. It was the ritual law in which they came to God, and when they sinned against the moral law, they had a way to still come into the presence of God and worship Him because there was a system of sacrifice that was set up so that they could seek God's atonement for their sins by the offering of sacrifices and the hope that even though they broke that law, they could come and be in the presence of that God and God established the way in which they were to come before him and God established the very place in which they were to come in order to offer that sacrifice. In a sense, what you see here is there was not only in the law that God gave at Mount Sinai a moral law, 
but there were the rules or standards by which the gospel, the good news, was revealed to them. The way in which they're forgiven, the way in which they're cleansed, the way in which they have access to God, it was written within the gospel itself. It was a good thing to rejoice in and to rely upon and to rest in. But the Jews that Paul was addressing took that law and they made a facade out of it. Instead of being God's way of turning them to himself and the way by which he provided a sacrifice when they broke the moral laws so that their sins could be forgiven and they could come into his holy presence and worship him, it became a way in which they would just follow these rules and these standards and these rituals to save themselves by their own efforts. It became a way in which they could, when they sinned, cover their sins by some ritual so that they could go on sinning and do it all over again. Just covering their tracks at the same time feeling good about themselves. And for the Christian, the gospel can become the same kind of law that we put up as a facade that we live behind. We think things like, I can live for myself, I can fall into sin, I can make and plan and choose to do this thing that I know is wrong and not right. I can fail and it's okay because I'll just pray a prayer. I'll remind myself that I was already forgiven in Jesus Christ. And as a result, I make this plan not out of a sense of great wonder or a great sense of gratitude and a great sense of surrender and submission to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but as a superstitious way of justifying myself and washing my hands for another day in which I live for myself. Kind of become like the mobster, you know, who basically carries on his business and carries on his trade and bilks money from other individuals, but makes sure that he doesn't miss mass so that he can go back at it the next week. Do the exact same thing. And so the gospel itself, a wonderful and good thing, like the law that was given to the Jews on Mount Sinai, becomes a bad thing. Becomes a bad thing. Here's what it says next. It says, you make your boast in God. You make your boast in God. Now, the idea here is that they're rejoicing in a unique relationship that they have with God. Jeremiah actually gives directions to the Jews on how they approach God with this idea that their boast is in Him and their relationship to Him. Take your Bibles and go to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Keep your finger in Romans 2. We'll go back there. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah writes this to the Jews, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. What a wonderful thing to glory in. What a wonderful thing to boast in, but to have and to know and to have this deep, abiding, growing relationship with the God, the God of all kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. That's what they're told to make as their boast, the thing that they find a sense of personal triumph in. And Actually, we're kind of directed towards the same idea in the New Testament. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul says in Galatians 6.14 that I have determined to glory in nothing else except the cross of Jesus Christ. I glory in that thing that has brought me into relationship with God, that has provided a forgiveness for all of my sins. That's what I boast in. That's what I build my life from. Well, that's a wonderful thing to boast about. The other day, I think Greg said that 
he preferred the 1984 version of the NIV. And it's not available. It isn't. You can't go online and find it. Unless you find an old one at a bookstore, you can't find it. But it's got a proper translation of this verse. In the NIV from 1984, instead of it saying that you boast in God, it says you brag about your relationship with God. You brag about your relationship with God. That's a good thing, but it can become a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when you think that it gives you impunity in how you live. You end up becoming like a brat of a wealthy man who lives in the community who gets pulled over by a police officer when caught speeding, and he says to the police officer, do you know who my daddy is? A good thing becomes a bad thing. It entitles you in any way. We as Christians often say that we're not religious, but instead we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's a proper description. That's a right way of describing what salvation brings to us. We're reconciled from our sins and our alienation with God in order that we might live with Him and be with Him. But if you're going to rest in a relationship, you better honestly check to make sure that you have a relationship, that you know God, that the pursuit of your life is to know Him and to study Him and to discover Him. And God did not save you to have a remote relationship with Him where having received salvation, you go back into your corner of the world to live and do whatever you want to do and to pursue whatever you want to pursue. And then every once in a while, when things get a little hairy and a little uncomfortable, you come back and make a little touchstone to say, well, you know, but I'm a child of God. Oh, God saved you for a deep and profound relationship, a deep, knowing, growing relationship with Him. He saved you to Himself. So to claim a relationship with Him, and yet then not stand in relationship with Him, makes a mockery of the provision he made for that relationship. It makes a mockery of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. It's failing to boast in God. It's failing to glory in his cross. And so a good thing becomes a bad thing for you. Let's look at the next thing here. It says, you know his will and you prove of the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. The Jew from their youth were catechized in the teaching of the law of the Torah. He felt that he knew the law and he knew what was important in the law, and he knew what was essential or excellent for life as a result of studying the law. He was quite confident that not only did he know the right doctrines and the right way in which to live and the right way in which to express that life, he actually was quite given to words. To him, words were very important. He wasn't a sloppy thinker. Instead, he was astute and careful in stipulating and expressing what it was he believed and understood to be essential for a life from the word he knew what people needed. He knew what God was teaching. And yet, as a result of that, he, he developed a kind of theological self-importance. He had the idea that, that he could rest in his head knowledge and that somehow what he knew transferred as a credit to himself. There's a lot of arrogance in theological seminaries, just to let you know, right? There's a lot of arrogance that takes place when young Christian men get together late at night to debate theological topics and they push it around. And, and as they talk about it, I, I, still today, the longer you delve into a theological conversation with one another, you can almost feel your chest swelling as you carry on the conversation. You almost feel like your head is expanding and, well, it's not wrong. It's actually a good thing, I think. It's right. I wish more people would debate these topics and carry them on as points of conversation in the night with their friends. It's not all wrong, but it's dangerous. <laughs> it's really dangerous. Right thinking, right doctrine, right knowledge alone, without a right surrender, without a right submission, 
without a right claiming by faith and clinging to the grace and mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ alone will lead you into a sense of smug self-righteousness where a good thing becomes a bad thing. The Lord Jesus telling the parables in Matthew chapter 6 talked about the statement. He says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the great and wonderful truths that God has given to us that are expressive of his sovereign rule over life and the wonderful way in which he's brought to us undeservingly his salvation become the basis of our pride and our arrogance. How dark those very things become to ourselves. So we should be warned. Those were the privileges of the Jew. Quickly, let me pivot and show you what their position was. Because they didn't just have a great privilege. They also were second given a great position. They had been raised up by God to be his ambassadors and his instructors of salvation to the world and his law to the world. And it was a good thing. But they'd allowed this position to make them smug in their sense of being the learned, instructing the ignorant. If you begin to think yourself approved because you know more than those that you're teaching that don't know as much as you know, you begin to feel superior by right of that instruction. And a good thing, again, becomes bad. Before we sign off for this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed. It is testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches who do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and so face the prospect of his rejection at the judgment seat in the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop the site testyourtestimony.com in order to apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. For now, I look forward to our next time partaking together of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.